It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everybody. Thank you for listening. We've been discussing the question... Do objective moral truths exist? Many in our culture today will say that objective truths do not exist. This question separates Judeo-Christian values from secular values. Judeo-Christian values agree that there are objective moral absolutes. But secularism thinks moral values are nothing more than opinions. The basic separation originates from the question of the existence of God. One premise given in episode 87 is, if there is no God, then objective moral truths do not exist. I have said that fact is logically equivalent to this statement. If objective moral truths do exist, then God exists. In episodes 74 and 75, I gave nine reasons supporting the truth that objective moral truths do exist. So I take it that moral absolutes is a fact. Then these two observations become the premises of a moral argument which concludes that God exists. Thus, I repeat again that the moral argument gives additional evidence for the existence of God. Remember... A teacher is a mind engraver. There are three rules of teaching. The first is repetition. The second rule repeats rule one, and the third rule repeats rule two. So I pray my repeating that objective moral truths exist will become a foundational truth to all of you in the audience. The world we live in is increasingly embracing diversity, religious, cultural, and political. For example, embracing diversity means being more tolerant to differences between individuals and groups, both large and small. This surge of tolerance is accompanied by an increasing ethical-slash-moral relativism. What does moral relativism mean? Moral relativism is the view that when it comes to questions of morality, there are no absolutes and there are no objective right or wrong. Moral rules are merely personal preferences and or the result of one's cultural, sexual, or ethnic orientation. A moral relativist holds that judgments of what we ought to do needs to be assessed in relation to the person who is making the judgment. A moral relativist might say, for example, that the bombing of Hiroshima in World War II was good for American soldiers 
but bad for Japanese people living in Japan. Moral relativism is skeptical about the truth value of moral claims. If moral relativism is correct, then it is hard to, to see how there can be moral knowledge. And in relativism, it is hard to judge the guilt of Hitler, Stalin, Mao, or Pol Pot for their part of over 100 million deaths of innocent people in the 20th century. Most people will know about the Nazi Holocaust in World War II. Perhaps you may remember the atrocities of the German judges in the Nuremberg trials after World War II. Maybe you will recall that Joseph Stalin, Leon Trotsky, and Vladimir Lenin were instrumental in the Russian Revolution and were involved in leadership of the oppressive government afterward. But if moral relativism is in operation, then not only would the guilt of Stalin, Trotsky, and Lenin be up for debate, but also that of the murderous deeds of Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, Ted Bundy, and the Columbine school killers Eric Klebold and Eric Harris. Moral relativism is generally posed as a direct antithesis to moral objectivism slash realism. A moral objectivist believes that moral judgments are not dependent on our individual wishes, hopes, aspirations, or opinions. According to moral objectivism, there are universal moral truths that are true for all people at all times in all places. Moral truths are about good and bad or right and wrong actions that are objectively true in the same way that scientific statements are true. They tell us how human beings ought to treat one another. William Lane Craig divides these truths into objective moral values and objective duties. In his book, Reasonable Faith, Craig writes, quotes, Objective moral values are not the same as objective moral duties. It is not the case that just because something is good, we must do it. It is good to become a teacher, or a doctor, or a fireman, but you can't do them all. Objective moral values relate to what is good or bad. For example, it is objectively good to help a human being to flourish, to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, and it is objectively bad to cause suffering just for the fun of it. These values are objective even if every Nazi thinks it is good to increase suffering. The Bible is resplendent with moral statements. Do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, to name just a few. These are moral absolutes, but these are just opinions according to moral relativism. But these attitudes about absolutes and opinions have implications in terms of safety, economics, and politics. 
NPR approvingly interviewed a female who authored the book in defense of looting. Such activity certainly affects the economics of a store owner. In terms of politics, the Marxist view of morality is not a view between right and wrong, but the difference between rich and poor. Defunding police departments certainly affect one's safety. In the first chapter of Genesis, we read, And God saw that the light was good. That's in chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. The phrase, God saw that the it was good, is repeated in verses 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25 of chapter 1 of Genesis. Then in uh, chapter 1, verse 31, we read, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. These are all moral statements. Objective moral duties are commands we must obey, such as, Love your neighbor as yourself, or do not torture babies for fun. These duties are objective because our opinions do not change our obligation to follow these commands. In a popular introductory ethics textbook, the Australian philosopher J.L. Mackey asserted, There are no objective values. Notably, the subtitle of Mackey's book is Inventing Right and Wrong. In Mackey's view, moral values are human inventions. This is a remarkable assertion, especially in light of the obvious immorality of torturing babies just for the fun of it. Nevertheless, it describes an attitude that seems commonplace in our culture today. The American anthropologist Ruth Benedict wrote in an essay entitled A Defense of Ethical Relativism that ethical behavior is just the habits we call good. There are no objective universal ethical norms. There are only the habits we call our ethics. Those habits, she maintained, are relative. They differ in every society. My response to Dr. Benedict is that ethics is not a habit. It is the philosophy of morality, and it touches who we really are. Nevertheless, Mackey and Benedict are right about one thing. We do live in a morally relativistic world. If moral relativism is true, then the study of ethics and moral reasoning is a search for antique ideas that no one really believes anymore. It is as rare as hen's teeth. But the fact that we live in a relativistic world also means that if moral relativism is not true, then we need to know how to respond to such a false view that remains so pervasive in our culture. Relativism is not merely an assertion made by Mackey and Benedict and adopted by many in our culture, but it is an argument for a particular way of understanding morality. Allow me to give relativism's argument I learned from C. Ben Mitchell's book, 
ethics and moral reasoning. The argument has two premises and a conclusion. It is relativistic because it claims that notions of right and wrong and good and bad should not be the same for everyone, everywhere, at all times. Louis Pogeman, the late United States Military Academy philosopher, calls the two premises the diversity thesis and the dependency thesis. Here is the statement of relativism's argument. Premise one, the diversity thesis. The notions of right and wrong differ from person to person and culture to culture. Premise two, the dependency thesis. Morality depends on some combination of human nature, the human condition, or human culture. The third statement, conclusion. Therefore, morality should differ from person to person and culture to culture. How do we respond to this moral relativism argument? Well, not with some mere assertion without evidence. Such assertions just promote a clash of opinions. Because relativism is promoted by an argument, a counter-argument is necessary. One can refute relativism's argument, as for any argument, by either demonstrating some term is used ambiguously, some premise is false, or showing that the argument involves a logical fallacy. First, notice that premise one is a descriptive claim that morality differs from person to person and culture to culture. The conclusion claims that this is the way it should be. In other words, it implies that it ought to be this way. Thus, the conclusion is making a moral claim. But here's the point. You can't get a moral ought from a factual is proposition. Therefore, this argument commits the is-ought fallacy. So this argument is thereby refuted. But in the next episode, I will shoot it a few more times to make sure it is dead. Allow me to close this episode with this quote from Emanuel Swedenborg. Quotes, There are two loves from which all good and truth come, love of the Lord and love of the neighbor. And there are two loves from which all evils and falsities come, the love of self and the love of the world. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.